be happy. Everybody wants to be happy. Think you outdid me, don't you? I can do it. I want to talk to you as we begin a series over the next five or six weeks about how we can find lasting happiness. I mean, you know, most happiness in life, we laughed just a second ago, but the song is over and we're on to something else. Most things in life we pursue happiness for are elusive and it's temporary, but it's a way to find lasting happiness, and I want to help you with that. In this series, we'll talk about happiness in our relationship with God how to feel good about yourself next week. Uh, uh, we'll talk about happiness in our family, our work, and the way that we treat people. And I think this will be a blessing. But uh, uh, the starting place for happiness, as I said, is our relationship with God. It is foundational. It is unshakable. The text for our series, Proverbs 15, 15, it says, the despondent or the oppressed, for them, every day brings trouble. But notice this next phrase, for the happy, cheerful heart, life is a continual feast. Now, what I want to suggest to you is this happiness is not just freedom from problems, but you can have happiness in the midst of your problems. And here's the source, John 10.10, 10, a New Testament passage. Jesus told us these words. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus Christ said, I came that you might have a rich and satisfying life. Now, this doesn't mean that you'll never have problems. Jesus predicted tribulation would be a part of our life. But Jesus said, whether times are up or times are down, God is still a good God. Are you with me today? And we can still find joy. Happiness, by definition, uh, is not an absence of problems, but it, true lasting happiness is found in a relationship with God. A happy person is someone that's, that's joyful, someone that's lighthearted, content, satisfied. Uh, uh, they feel blessed and cheerful. They enjoy life. But I, I find it interesting. Uh, I have a, a, an electronic copy of Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Now, the first words that I just gave you are from modern Webster's vernacular today of what happiness means to most people, but it's all secular. Webster's Dictionary, 200 years ago, it was a different type of America the fabric of America was very much rooted in biblical truth. Uh, though we're told that's not true, it, it is a falsehood what we're taught today. Let me tell you what Webster said of happiness uh, in the first dictionary. For, it's a little archaic. It's a couple hundred years old, but I think you'll get it. Happiness, he said, is the pleasurable sensation derived when we gratify sensual appetites that make us temporarily happy. But he can only be esteemed really and permanently happy who enjoys peace of mind in the favor of God. Amen. And then he quotes a scripture, Psalm 144, happy is the people whose God is Jehovah or whose God is the Lord. Amen. So this was a cultural understanding of the past that's missing from America today. Hence, we go in many places. For example, there's a lot of secular quotes about happiness. Let me contrast a couple. Uh, you remember Tom Bodet, the guy that was going to keep the light on at Motel 6? Yeah. Well, now here's what he said, just kind of good old, you know, Midwest common sense. He said, they say a person needs just three things to be happy in this world, someone to love, something to do, and something to hope for. Eh, I can go along with that. Uh, Charles Schultz, remember the guy that uh, Peanuts, uh, the cartoon characters, he said, happiness is a warm puppy. Uh, my daughter experiences this regularly. She loves animals, and we had a stray pet walked up. 
uh, it's a little kitty. I would like to know which of you in this church dropped that cat off near my house. Uh, my wife would like to have words with you, but uh, uh, sh she wanted it. She said, yes, daddy, how can we say no? And now this kitty lives at our home. Uh, here's some philosophers, though. Uh, Buddha, Gahatma Buddha says, there is no path to happiness. Happiness is the path. I'll pass. Uh, here's one. Uh, Socrates uh, influenced our, our, our thinking as Westerners. He said, the secret of happiness is not found in seeking more but in developing the capacity to enjoy less. Kind of makes you go, um. Uh, Aristotle, happiness depends on ourselves. Throw him out. Now, listen to the difference. David in the scripture. David said in Psalm 119, happy are those who live pure lives, who follow the Lord's teaching. Very different. Listen to the words of Jesus himself, Matthew 5, 3. Jesus said, happy or blessed. These are the Beatitudes. The first one, happy are those who, uh, who know they're spiritually poor or the poor in spirit. And what it means, they realize their need for God. Now that is profound. Jesus said, the source of happiness or blessedness is a recognition of your need for God. It is the first of what's called the Beatitudes. Robert Schuller used to call them the Be Happy Attitudes. But the very first one Jesus said was, is to recognize your need for God. So again, we're going to talk about happiness in all arenas of life. We'll hopefully I can help make your marriage better, uh, help you get along a little more with your enemies, uh, and feel better about yourself. But the source of all of it, from where I'm coming from today, is not pop psychology. I got a minor in psychology many moons ago when I went to college, and unfortunately, I had to unlearn most of it because it was all man-centered. There needs to be a place in our life where God is the starting place. And this is what I hope to help you do in the coming weeks is help you to find true and lasting happiness in our relationship with God. That's what we're doing this morning. So uh, let's explore it together. Let's spend just a little longer, a little more time about lasting happiness. And let's contrast it with what the world offers us, uh, the source of lasting happiness. Let me show you a quick video that kind of brings us across in a concise way about, about happiness. In the last six months, more than a thousand books have been published about it. Universities around the world are teaching on it. For 30 years, scientists have been studying it. Governments are appointing cabinet positions to oversee it. The United Nations named an official day after it. Google Analytics prove people are searching for it. In fact, it's one of humanity's oldest pursuits. Happiness. We are wealthier, more educated, and live longer than any previous generation. And as a nation, the U.S. is one of the wealthiest, most powerful, and technologically advanced. And in the most recent World Happiness Report, the United States ranked 17. 17. So what's the problem? We've got money, we've got restaurants, we've got food, we've got fun, it's turkey season. I mean, what is the problem in life? We should be happy. Why can't people find lasting happiness? I'll suggest to you is because secular culture lies to us. Secular culture tells us most often to look in the mirror and look in ourselves. Uh, but secular culture tells us to, uh, that we can find happiness in the wrong places. Since I've been a child, there's this been, this been a, a, a marketing pull that basically said, if you have a big house, a nice car, and lots of money, you'll be happy. 
I'm 60 years old. I know a lot of people that have a beautiful home, driving a beautiful car or truck, have lots of money but are not happy. I know people that can go anywhere in the world, that do whatever they want to do, buy whatever they want to But guess what? Happiness, it, you can't find happiness in things. The world tells us that, that, that sex is the way to happiness. Having sex with whoever and whenever and as often as you want to, certainly it's a pleasurable experience, but how many know happiness fades when something is wrong and you go to the doctor and you have a sexually transmitted disease? The percentages are astronomical today and a condom won't take care of all of them. Are you with me today? Happiness is there until you have an unwanted pregnancy and then you're faced with many, many choices that you wish you didn't have to make. Happiness is elusive when you finally get married and everything is beautiful and perfect. But after the newness is worn off, you find yourself or your spouse is comparing you to other sexual partners. Are you with me? And happiness in that avenue doesn't seem what it was supposed to be. Why do scores of people come to celebrate recoveries and Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous? Why do they go to these type places? Why are these groups filled? We have a celebrate recovery in our church every Friday night. It's filled with people and many in the room are there because the world promised them happiness through alcohol and drugs. But rather than leaving you happy, come on now, it ends up leaving you with problems. A failed marriage, a broken marriage, an addiction on the front page of the paper in an orange jumpsuit, stealing just to cause, just to feed your habit. Well, I guarantee you the first time they offered you the joint, the first time the drink came around the circle, I promise you it was in the context of a party. We're feeling good, but it often doesn't turn out that way. I debated about sharing this, but I will because um, I, was not, I, I became a Christian when I was 19 years of age. But when I was 17, 18, and 19, I remember when my friend, uh, the first beer uh, that was ever given to me, I remember I was with a group of uh, ball players. We'd lost the tournament. I was in the ninth grade. I played second base. And the seniors, it was their last game, so we stopped at the beer store. And I remember putting it to my lips and not drinking it because my grandfather was an alcoholic, and I knew the downside of it. But I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be happy. So I did. I remember as it took me, one night I was about 18, I remember we invited Uncle Jack to go out with us. Sad thing is I can't tell you what happened that night because I blacked out. I'm ashamed to tell you this, but I want to tell you because many of you in here are being enticed. Many of you are in that world today. And as Uncle Jack and I had spent time together that night, I don't have a clue what happened. All I know is my friends brought me home and I woke up in the next morning with the worst headache I've ever had in my life. I vomited all morning long. My friend came to get me. We were going to make a duck blind, and I couldn't work. I just laid under a tree and threw up all morning. But the worst thing was I didn't know where my mother's car was because I took it out that night, and when I left that morning, it was gone. So for three hours, I laid under that little cypress tree in the woods thinking, what in the world did I do and what am I going to tell my mama? Now, we're laughing right now, but that's not funny. And I got home, and thankfully that my, my, my sister had taken the car, but I, Uncle Jack and I never went out again because he promised me happiness, and it was a lie. But can I tell you what? I have found a happiness since walking with Christ that has taken care of the urges that I used to have. I have found a contentment in my life. I have found something that, I, it, it, listen, if it takes that to get happy, the next day you got to get happy again. But I want to tell you, friend, Jesus is right there with you every day of your life. Come on, give him a big, a big hand today. 
Now, I want to spend a little time this morning kind of foundationally telling you how God uh, is, can give us lasting happiness. The first, the first part is, is, is on the spiritual side. It's kind of in the future what you can't see. But there's a lot I want to tell you about the, the life now and now, how happiness through God can happen right now. But let me tell you first about lasting happiness. Jesus offers, is the only one that can offer forgiveness for sins. Sooner or later in life, you recognize the power of sin, the guilt of sin, the condemnation, the shame of sin, and ultimately the judgment of sin. Can I tell you, friend, Jesus offers freedom from that. Uh, Romans chapter 5, he speaks to believers and says, since we have been justified by faith, faith is believing in Christ. It's the simplicity of looking as a reminder to the cross, acknowledging to God that I've sinned, believing faith that Christ died for my sins and he rose from the dead, simple faith, and that act of trust, that act of, of, of receiving Christ as my Savior by faith and following him, the Bible says causes me to be theologically justified. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. God wipes my sins away. The burden, and I'll talk probably about this next week because many of us carry shame and guilt from past things that we've done in our life. Jesus has the potential to wash that away. The Bible says because of that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, friends, as a Christian, God is not angry at you. God is not holding my sins against me. I want to tell you, He is my heavenly Father, and He loves me. Verse 8 says God shows His love for us. I mean, no, God can hate sin but still love us. He loves us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While I was a stupid 18-year-old looking for happiness, Jesus still loved me. Verse 9 says, Therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, the blood of Christ. Much more, we're going to be saved by Him from the wrath of God. That's judgment day. It's real. It'll come. It may come sooner than we think. Now, that's theology. Uh, that's, that's truth in my mind. Let me talk to you about practical happiness that can be felt and experienced daily. And I'm not giving you preacher talk. I'm talking to you as someone who lives this and who's experienced it. Here, my friend, the first thing, and I'll tell you a couple, uh, peace, fulfillment, contentment, joy, and the favor of God. Listen, God offers these things. The, the word peace, Jesus said in John 14, 27, he said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. The peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. You cannot drink yourself into peace. You cannot Xanax yourself into peace. You cannot, you cannot sleep your way into peace. But Jesus gives us as the Prince of Peace. He says, don't be troubled or afraid. That's a reason to be happy. I want to tell you, friend, I don't care if it's the, the thunderstorms that blow through with the vastness of their storm. It's a bad doctor's report. Uh, it's the checkbook balance. It's the IRS letter in the mail. How many know troubles come and, and you may get a little tense about it, but how many know in the middle of it there's an anchor of peace? Yeah. This is what Jesus offers. The second thing is he offers fulfillment. There's no Kevin Costner movie. I really liked it called The Love of the Game. I like sports movies. I don't know if you ever saw it, but he was this baseball player and, 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 and he was gonna, his team was being sold and, and, and it was his last game and he pitched the perfect game. You know, no hits, no runs, no errors. Perfect game. And he's sitting in his, in his bed at night and he's crying and he's weeping and he's been drinking after the game. And he calls his girlfriend and said, this should be the happiest day of my life, but because you're not here, uh, I'm not happy. 
Well, can I tell you, friends, fulfillment, the things that we think will make us happy, whether it's the perfect game or whatever, when you get there, you find it won't. I don't care if it's the pursuit of a PhD. I don't care if it's you make your first million dollars. It will not be what you hoped it would be. But the Bible says, listen, 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul talks about his journey in life after becoming a Christian. He said this. He's lived a long time, and he said, I fought the good fight. He's not talking about fists. He's talking about the Christian life, fighting temptation, fighting evil. He said, I finished the race, and I have remained faithful and now the prize awaits me, God's reward, which the Lord will give me on his day, a day of his return. I want to tell you this, friends. I'm 60. I've played ball. I've gone sports. I've gone to college. I've had scholarship, blah, 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 all these things in life. I've gone, had great hunting trips. I've had fun in life. But I've never experienced as great a fulfillment as when I serve the Lord. When I am doing what God has called me to do, my daughter Bethany and her husband Mason going to Africa, i got to be honest with you, Daddy doesn't want her to go. But there's another side of me. When she told me after a couple times I'd made the poor thing cry, and I feel bad about it. I was trying to talk her out of it, and I know. But she looked at me one day. She said, Dad, God wants me to do this. Well, I didn't fight her any longer because I understand. Because I told my parents many, many years ago, when I left Mississippi and a life on a farm, when I left that life and to pursue the ministry, I said, I'll never be happy unless I do this with my life because this is God's calling. Can I tell you, friend, when you find God's calling in life, and God has a calling for all of us, it's not elusive, it's not hard to find. This is where true happiness comes. Listen, she'll go to Africa. She won't be rich. She won't have all the nice things that she has around here, but she'll have something deeper, more fulfilling, come on now, than a new car or a new house. Nothing wrong with these things, but it's a deeper fulfillment. It's similar to the next thing Christ offers, contentment. Philippians 4.11, he said, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I can live on almost nothing or I can live with everything. Now, we'd all rather live with having more and extra and newer rather than old. But Paul said, you can still be happy with a little bit. Where does that come? The next verse says, I know I can do all things through Christ. I'm telling you, friends, you can find it through Jesus. Joy, the favor of God. What we're talking about is not just for the by and by. But I'm telling you, friends, in the nasty now and now, Jesus can make you happy. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand today. Let me pause just a little further about this starting place. See, we talk about happiness in a relationship with God. I've got to be honest with you. In those times of turmoil in my life, 17, 18, and 19, Mom made me go to church. I had a Bible. I believed in God. But none of that makes you a Christian. I was not an evil person. I never raped anyone. I never murdered anyone. But how many know you can't be good enough to have a relationship with God? Here's how you have a relationship with God. Jesus called it being born again. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't be in God's kingdom. It is a literal spiritual rebirth. For me, it happened on August 15th, 1976. You say, how do you know that? I was there. And in essence, I looked at what, what they called the plan of salvation. I said this out of my mouth. I'm in a Navy boot camp by myself, pillow over my head, nobody listening, tears in my eyes. I said, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. I ask you to forgive me for what I've done wrong. 
And now I want to receive you as my Savior. I want you to come and be a part of my life. That invisible wall that's kept you out, I don't want it to be there anymore. I want you to come and find your place in my life. I receive you as my Savior. And number four, I turn away. I repent from my sins. I begin to follow you as my Lord and Savior of my life. I want to tell you, friends, it is a real spiritual experience. The book of Ephesians 2 says, In the past, you were spiritually dead because of your sins. You were separated from God, but verse 5 says, though you were spiritually dead because of what you did against God, he gave us new life with Christ. Everybody say new life. life. See, it 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 is a spiritual encounter with God. It's not just a feeling. It's more than a New Year's resolution, but it's a commitment that you make to Christ. And today may be your day. You may feel like right now I am talking directly to you. All I'm doing is repeating what that Gideon told me on probably August 11th, the very same words that I said about Jesus. It's like we're simply God's vessel that's speaking to someone that's at a spiritual crossroads, my friend. You can make that decision today. Listen, let me talk about how our happiness increases. Now, this is probably the most important part of the message. So how can I be happier? Now, now, now think about it. Happiness for all of us, even spiritual people, happiness can, is, is affected by our circumstances. Come on now. I'm happier when I'm healthy than when I'm sick. I'm happier when I can, you know, go out to eat at Red Lobster rather than McDonald's. I mean, we, we all understand. But, but your happiness overall can increase in life, irrespective of what's going on around you. How, do, how can this happen, Pastor? Let me give you three things. Here's the first one. Your happiness and mine will increase when we're obedient to God's word and his spirit, when I walk with the Lord, let's know what Jesus Christ said. Jesus said, and I want you to say this with me, John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let's stop there just a second. If I love God, that was a foreign concept to me as a child. I went to church uh, I was, you know, tried to be good, especially on communion Sunday. I would be nice to my sister. It might last five minutes, 15, or rarely over an hour. But, but, but if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then I thought the commandments of God were restrictions to my happiness rather than a door to my happiness. Wow. Wow. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? God wants relationship with us, and God's love language is when people do what he says. How many have had kids? Raise your hand. Yeah. Isn't it better in your home? Aren't you happier when your kids are, are living within the boundaries? Yeah. Sure you are. I tell Rebecca all the time. I, I told her the other day, we were watching some home improvement show. She likes that. My wife and her spend more money now that we have to, we need to fix her upper. But <laughs> you think that's good? Give me some money. I need some help. Uh, but anyway, I stopped it and I said, honey, I, I put it on phrase and I said, honey, this morning I was praying and I was just so thankful to God because you have just been the funnest teenager to live with in the last few years. I don't know what I'm going to do when you go to college, but I want to just say thank you for the good choices you've made. And she said, oh, well, it's true. She's not perfect any more than you were perfect, but I just want to tell you, when, when, when we do the right things, and the Miller commandments are not grievous or weird or hard, but they're just what makes healthy family in the Miller household. And one day she said, you know what? I want to be a happy Miller, so I'm going to go the Miller command. And now what? Everybody's happy. Well, let me take a further step. How many of you want to have a happy marriage? There's kind of, I don't want to use the word commandments, but there's kind of some rules you need to follow. 
Yeah. Uh, well, last week, my, my wife uh, got even with me. I had taken some time off to go turkey hunting in Mississippi, so she took some time off to go on a senior trip with Rebecca. So I'm by myself, helpless male, for about six days. What happened? <laughs> Lest you judge me. How many people can say I've never had a dish in my sink over three or four hours? Let me see your hand here. Okay, so now they're on the same page. You do know why they made sinks as big, as big, the size they are, don't you? Why sinks are not as big as bathtubs? It's to hold as many dirty dishes as you have in the house. Are you with me today? So it's about, you know, five or six days in the process there, and she's getting ready to come back, and we're texting, and I say, Honey, when you come home, would you like to feel needed or happy? <laughs> what do you think she said? Come on, change your shot there, please. Where'd those dishes go? Make her happy. So I didn't marry a maid. But I didn't just do the dishes. I cleaned the whole house. I took all the garbage out, and then I washed and vacuumed her car. Come on now. You can do a little better than that. Why did I do that? It's her love language. Come on now. She likes, a, she likes a clean house. She likes a nice house. It's her love language. And guess what? God has a love language. And if you will see the Bible, if you'll see God's commandments, it's not just rules to restrain you, but a door into a relationship with God that will cause your happiness to go deeper. I want to tell you, friend, the best is yet to come. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. You know, if mama ain't happy... There you got it. I don't know what book of the Bible that's in, but it should be. Let me tell you a second one here. Uh, how to increase your happiness. You'll increase your happiness when you're pursuing God's plan for your life. And let me tell you this unequivocally. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and it's not that hard to find. But we were all created with purpose, on purpose. Even if you're the product of rape, even if you're the, an unwanted child, I want to tell you, friend, God has a purpose for your life. God can turn e take evil and God can turn it into good. Listen, Acts 13, 36, the Bible speaks of David. It says, after he had, say this with me, served the purpose of God in his generation. Another translation said, David did God's will during his lifetime. He fell asleep. It's a euphemism for death. He died. He pursued God's purpose. You see, God has given all of us one life to live. He's mapped out a path for us to follow. And I promise you, you'll never be happier unless you're doing that plan. Listen, to, lest you doubt this, Psalm 139, verse 16. The psalmist, before an ultrasound was even created, before a scientist could tell us when the, the child's heart began to beat after a number of days. Come on now. Listen to what it said. Psalm 139. He said, you, God, saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now, this doesn't mean that you're a puppet and, and, and God is manipulating everything about your life. Somehow, the sovereignty and the plan of God and the free will of man come together. Somehow, God maps out a course, but I've got to choose God's course. That doesn't mean that, you know, God's plan for me was to wake up at 6.30 this morning, but I hit the smooth alarm once, and now I'm in, you know, I'm in trouble. 
But it somehow, these truths come together. God's mapped out a course. I want to make choices, but I promise you, you'll never be happier in your life until you're doing God's will. My daughter Bethany uh, wants to go to Africa, you know, and I think I, is, I don't, can't remember what service I said it in, so I'll say it again. I was not real happy when she wanted to go to Africa, and I tried to talk her out of it, i got to be honest, and, 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 and she cried a couple times, but one day she came to me and she said, Dad, now Bethany's our kids director, she said, Dad, and I'm so proud of her, she and Mason, she said, Dad, God's calling me to do this, and I've known it for a couple years. I've never tried to discourage her since then. I've told her, honey, I'll do everything I can to help you because here's what I know. She'll never be fulfilled in life until she tries to do what God tells her to do. Now listen, ultimately God has to do his part. She's got to raise money and all those things to get her there, but she's got to step in that direction because she feels as best in her ability, God's called me to do it. And I want to tell you, friend, having someone who's, who's been a Christian for about 40 years, I have found greater happiness serving the Lord than I ever did playing on a ball team, on a turkey hunt, come on, going on a date, buying a house, buying furniture, buying cars. I want to tell you, walking with God, doing his will, eclipses anything I've ever experienced in my life. Come on, give him a good, a good hand today. Let me give you a last one about how your happiness can increase. Your happiness will increase, as I said, when you're obedient to the Lord, when you walk and follow his ways, when you pursue his plan. And here's the third one. Your happiness will guaranteed increase as you have a close daily fellowship with God. Now, here's something I didn't know as a boy. Again, in my ignorance, I just thought you went to church and you were more good than bad, and that's what it meant to be a Christian. At some point, you read your Bible. When you're in trouble, you pray. I didn't understand the concept of a personal relationship with God, a God that you cannot see, touch, or feel, but yet somehow you know is real. Deep in your heart and soul, the Bible says, having not seen him, yet we love him. This is the language of faith. But listen to this idea of close fellowship. David said this, Psalm 42. He said, as a deer longs for streams of water, I long for you. In other words, the picture there is a thirsty animal in a desert. This animal has been chased by a coyote or a dog or a hunter. And the poor thing's tongue is hanging out and she's panting. She wants a drink. It's the football player in two-a-days. It's August. It's 104 degrees outside. And coach, can I have a drink before I die? That feeling of desperation, David said, I long for you, God. I thirst for God. When can I go and stand before him? In other words, he wants to go to the temple. In our vernacular, it would be, I can't wait for Sunday to come so I can get up and I can go worship the Lord. Now listen, sometimes I come to church and I have a feeling like that. A lot of times I come because it's the right thing to do. But how many know, this is what we want to go towards. We want to go towards a desire to be with God. David wrote again in Psalm 63. See, it's not just we need God when we're in trouble, but it's a relationship. 63, God, you're my God. I earnestly search for you. Well, this is more than going to church once once in a while. It's more than praying when you're in trouble, but it's getting closer to God. Because if true happiness is found in a relationship with God, I promise you, friend, the closer you get, the closer you want to be. And the closer you get, the happier you're going to be. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Now, you may agree it sounds a bit abstract. I, I can't give you a formula per se. It's just A, B, C, and it's going to happen just like that. But I can tell you some things that will help. If you want a relationship, see, you've got to decide the kind of relationship you want. 
Do I want a relationship with God that's pretty much delegated to Sunday and problems? Or do I want a relationship with God that's a daily relationship? If you want a daily, here's, a, here's what I'll suggest. Ask the Lord to help you. Discipline yourself. Do what's necessary. But as soon as possible in the morning, say, good morning, Lord. Let there be an indication out of your mouth. I want you in my life today. In the morning, sometimes before life gets on, take some time to read the Bible and pray. Don't beat yourself up if you miss a day. But listen, I've been, I've been a Christian a long time, for over four decades. I'm not perfect. Don't say amen. But I, I, I have walked with God a long time, and I have never backslidden. I have never had an affair on my wife. Come on now. I have never gone crazy. I've had my ups and downs. But the one thing that I think I can credit to keeping me in my focus with God is every day I take some private time to be with Him. Virtually every day, and I miss sometimes, but virtually every day I'd have a time where I open my Bible and I read it. That's why we have the Bible app on our phone app or in the back of the chair, there's a little card. Every day I read my Bible and every day I take time to pray. I try to do it in the morning, but sometimes if I'm up early and I miss my prayer time, I don't turn on talk radio, though I like it. I don't turn on music, though I like the beat. What I do, though, is I take time going to work and I talk to God. If you will do that, that's number two. Here's the third thing. Uh, try to stay close to God all day. Uh, there's a scripture, Galatians 5, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Some translations say, stay in step with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? That means that I simply want to try to walk with God, that when I don't know what to do, that I say, Lord, would you help me make the right decision? If I'm walking in the turkey woods and I know it's starting to rain, I say, Lord, would you maybe let it not lighten and hit my gun here that I'm walking around with? But whatever you're doing, even you have your food. You, you don't pray over your food because, you, you know, the USDA is not doing its job. You recognize God as the source. But you just try to walk with God. You try to seize opportunities to share His love with people. And then when you get ready to go to bed at night, what do you say? Good night, Lord. Thank you for this day. Help me wake up with you on my mind. How many know if you try to live that way? Start your day with God, end your day with God. I promise you, friend, you'll be closer to God, and it'll be worth the effort. Give him a big hand today. He's worthy of praise. I'll close with this last thought. As we've been, oh, I'm trying to share with you this morning, real lasting happiness is found in our relationship with God. You know, all of us, at some level, try to find happiness and things of this life, temporary pursuits. But most of us can't go to the nth degree. Most of us will never have enough money to buy anything we want. Most of us will never have power and position of the president or Supreme Court justice. Most of us will never have a double PhD. But listen to a guy that had all that. His name was Solomon, and it's good advice, the wisest man that lived in the Old Testament. This man said this. He said, I collected great sums of silver and gold. I had everything a man could desire. He was rich. His wife had as many pair of shoes as she, as she wanted in that closet. Verse 9, I became greater than all who had lived. This is power. My wisdom never failed me. This is education. I denied myself no pleasure. But then he says the oddest thing. As I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, his homes, his fields, his agriculture, his business, he said, it was all so And you know why he said it was meaningless? Because he tried to find happiness apart from God. If you will find God as the center point of your life, as the anchor of your soul, I promise you, friends, everything else in life 
just gets better and better. You'll have problems, but even in the midst of the problems, come on, you'll still know that God is good and his praise will be on your lips. Give him a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Let's stand to our feet. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to, to just take just a moment and close with prayer. Have you ever gone to a movie that had a message? And I don't mean just an entertainment message with space aliens shooting Transformers and Arnold Schwarzenegger coming back from the dead and Star Wars being resurrected. Are you with me? I'm not talking about... I'm talking about a, mo a movie that had a meeting and after it's over, most people just immediately get up and run away. But a reflective movie, you stop and you think about it. I think that's what should happen after a sermon. After we've opened the Bible and hopefully a guy that's been praying all week and studying all week, asking God to speak, hopefully your, our response would be, okay, Lord, now what? What have you said to me? What change will I make in my life? Because I don't want to just be a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer. The goal is not biblical information. The goal of Sunday is not just an emotional high. The goal is to set our sights more clearly on God. So as we sing this last song and pray, I want you to just bow your head just a moment and I thank all of our heart today. Listen, I'm so happy you're here today. I think your Heavenly Father's happy you're here because it says in the most simple way, I believe in God. But Lord, I thank the cry of every person in this room today as we want to be closer to you. For those that know you, for those that have relationship, our desire clearly is that our happiness would increase. The, the reality of God in our life would increase. So today, Lord, would you help us find joy in obeying your commandments? Just like a happy message, a marriage and a clean sink. Well, help me live by the Bible. Help me have a desire to because it's your love language. Lord, would you help me to be able to figure out what your purpose is for my life? But would you help me just kind of get going? Not wait until some angel writes it in the sky, but that I just start moving after you and let me find it. For everyone of us in here, Lord, we can start trying to live by the Holy Spirit for the rest of the day. Remind us before we go to bed to say thank you and remember you and say good night. Remind us when we wake up in the morning, say good morning, Lord. And would you help us order our day so we have some time to open God's Word and to spend some time in prayer. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Why don't you just say that? Say, Lord, would you help me? I don't want to just go to church. I want to be close to God. In Jesus' name. And we're going to close with one last song. And unless you ha just have to run out on an emergency, hang with us till this song is over. It's a very special time. We're going to open our altars for prayer. I know when we open the Bible together, the Holy Spirit has a special way to speak to us. And if you're here and you need prayer for anything, we've got men and women that will be here and they'll take some time if you just need to talk to somebody. Maybe you want to pray for yourself or maybe you've got people that you care about, you want to pray for them. Maybe you've got people in your family that you love and care about and they lo they're like I was when I was 18. I mean, they're just a knucklehead. Well, this is a great time to get somebody to pray. We'll pray about anything. But the most important person I'd like to pray for, those of you that are here today, that when I was talking about starting a relationship with God, something resonated in your heart. Maybe you're like I was when I was a boy. I always believed in God. I believed in the Bible. I believed in Jesus. But I had never, it was like 
if God's will was that cross, I was going this way. And mom says, church time, I'd say, okay, church. And after that, I'd keep going. And I'd have a problem, and I would turn myself around, and I'd say, hey, please help. After it was over, I'd kind of keep going. And August 15, 1976, I stopped that. I said, Jesus, I believe in you, but I want to turn from my sins, and I want you to come and be my personal Savior, and I want to give you my life, and I want to follow you. Amen. That's a defining moment. And my friend, if that's what you need, or if you started that and you got off base and you want to come back to the Lord, I'm going to encourage you when we begin to sing, slip out of your chair, meet someone at the cross. We will not embarrass you. We will pray for you, give you some things to help you. But there is power, friends, in walking away from your past and, and by faith walking to the Christ of the cross. So our prayer team is coming to the front right now. They are here to pray for you. And if you need to start a relationship with God, or you want a fresh commitment in your relationship with Christ, we'll meet you at the cross. It'll be the best step you've made. I love you. Thanks for being here. Lord willing, we'll keep this going next week about happiness with ourselves.